0: Hey, welcome to Old Ass Movie Reviews. I'm Scott. There's Dave somewhere in this position. And today we have a special guest, Craig Edwards from Empire Records, uh, Rex Manning's male fan. And I would argue number one fan.
1: Yeah, (laughs) likely. (laughs) I would definitely
0: argue that. So welcome, Craig. Thank you so much for coming on the show. uh, Thank you. With us. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. Um you had asked me before we started the show, um, was this the first time I had seen Empire Records or had had I seen it before? This was the first time I'd ever seen it. Um, wow. which I'm I've there's been a lot of movies I have just now catching up on, as as Dave. You're uh, welcome, by the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh I can't believe I slept on this one. Um I, I'll just give a quick impression right off the bat. I I started watching this movie and i felt i shouldn't shouldn't have liked it um and what i mean is it it started to irritate me at the beginning with lucas and but as i started to watch and started to see the other characters and start to realize i am looking at a slice of america in the 90s and Basically, every, this this movie could actually be timeless, I believe, because yeah. you're seeing kids or young adults dealing with the same stuff that everybody did. And it's like I was like watching that. And, I, and when, it, when that light bulb went off, it's like, oh, my God, I love this movie. So it was it was
2: really cool to see yeah. see that. It's you know, it, it's got a truth to it, I think, because uh, Carol Heikkinen, who wrote it, uh, lived the life of those kids in a record store. And so oh, I think wow. anytime you're writing from that level of experience, that it's your story to some extent, I think there's a truth that as long as, you know, the filmmakers do their job and they get the right cast, you're going to, you're going to have a truthful movie.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. Absolutely. And that sense. and that's what it,
0: what it, what it felt like. And it was, it was, it was neat to see. Um, I, I'm all over the place on this. One of my favorite performances is uh, I think it was Robin Tooney's uh, Deborah. Um mm-hmm. I thought she brought such a, um, I don't know. I just, my heart broke for, for Debra. And it was, I thought it was so well, well done. Um,
2: but she was an I, interesting, I, go go ahead.
0: No, no, I I, I did want I say. One of my, my favorite performances is that, that male Rex Manning fan. Um, and we'll get to
2: him <laughs> later. <laughs> but yeah, Robin, Robin was great in that role. Well, some happy accidents there, um, including your male Rex Manning fan. So there's a little <laughs> teaser for, stories to come. But um Robin um they wanted her character to have an edge, obviously. Ah. And they were planning on facial tattoos um with wow. makeup. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't remember all the ins and outs, but I know that they never quite worked the way they wanted. Plus the um she still had some uh, around the back of her neck and things.
3: Mm-hmm. But there
2: mm-hmm. were there was going to be something on her face somewhere. And I don't know if her people didn't like it or the time it was going to take to keep that up. Whatever it was, that went by the wayside. And they were still casting about in rehearsals and pre-production for something to give her that edge. And somebody lit on the shaving of the head. And that so that was kind of improv. It was not in the original script. And they built an entire day into the schedule to shoot that scene because you had one shot at it. Yeah, and once that hair started coming off, you were locked. <laughs> yeah. And so they set, I don't know, three or four cameras up around that bathroom set and had it all rigged up, ready to go. And she did it. So what you're watching is absolutely for real. I, really I was sick.
1: wondering whether that was her idea or somebody else's, or if she was just the one girl who said... I'll play that character, and you know I'm I'm willing to shave my head. I did, I was wondering how that came about because an actress generally will not shave their head. For That's a, a big ass.
2: Yeah, it is. And and she was in on it. Um, I don't know if it was her idea right from the get go. Somebody else may have conceived of the initial notion, but she uh. never bought it. She was for it from the get go. What's funny is she went from that. Um, she left our show and went almost immediately to the craft. Oh nice. And so she shows up at the craft with her head shaved. <laughs> and so they had to lay out $3,500 for a wig. For oh, them. wow. And so they were not happy with us. So, you know, no, the craft versus Empire Records <laughs> softball game got a little salty on the next yeah. one. You think? <laughs> 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 wow. Because yeah, I, I
0: wondered that about that when I saw her shave her head. And I was like, oh, my God, that's a big ask of somebody. It's yeah. like, but she uh, and, and she was committed to that role, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: yeah. She was dating the gaffer. Um, I mean, these kids were not kids. The only actual kids we had that were under 18 was Brendan Sexton uh, Warren, Warren Baker, and actually Liv Tyler, who had not yet reached 18. Really? So Liv, who had already been in Aerosmith videos and had lived a more worldly life than any five crew members, had to attend school every day with Brendan.
1: Oh, jeez. That's funny. That's funny.
2: So was this shot in – was this in Wilmington or it was um the there's a lot of scenes there was re there were reshoots in Los Angeles and they took a unit up that would nobody from Wilmington I don't think went but somebody put together a crew and went to Atlantic City and shot exteriors right, for that right. sequence so that was not stock footage it was shot for the film um the storyline changed in editing uh that's part of the reason they did reshoots um originally Lucas was not going to Atlantic City to win money to save to so that uh, Joe could buy the store away from Music Town.
3: Mm-hmm. He just went
2: because he went. Then a woman came to the store and they had an affair. She was a married woman and they had an affair on the couch. <laughs> and then she said, let's go to Atlantic City. And he Good. was like, OK, and just went and lost the store's receipts,
3: uh, which made him a much
2: less positive character in a lot of yeah. ways. And so yeah. that that was part of the reason I think that they decided in the reshoots to uh, add. So the sequence where he's in the office and uh, Renee Zellweger pops her head in and says, you know, count up the receipts or whatever, let's get the show on the road. Mm-hmm. That was a reshoot in Los Angeles to get that storyline more ah. in the place. Ah,
1: okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, it works like a that. lot
1: better this way, yeah. I think. than I, I would agree. Had they kept that, that main story? Yeah, there is a, if you guys
2: better, did enjoy the film and you want to see a, a variation, there is out there a, a disc called the Fan Remix Edition. It, it's, a, it's an actual licensed release. They did a second release.
1: Oh, no kidding. Oh,
2: and um, it restores as much as they could of the original uh, storyline, including the woman that comes to the store. And her husband shows up, he's a record driver. He shows up during the rave. And so there is a whole different um, feel to well, how it goes. It's, yeah. it's a little bit like the Donner Cut of Superman 2. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 OK.
0: That's funny. Very cool. Very I cool. didn't even know that existed. Mm-hmm. So um, what was your, did you work crew at first originally on this?
2: Yeah. Um, Stefania Girolami goodwin uh, was an assistant director in town. She is the daughter of Enzo Castellari, the director of the original *Inglorious Bastards oh. and uh, many other Italian films. And oh. she had uh, moved to Wilmington and was working here and took a liking to me on Super Mario Brothers and became became one of my favorite bosses in the 90s. Oh, great. She got hired. Um, the, um, the Hades. Uh, the assistant directors were uh, Joelle Siegel, who is the son of a famous casting lady. Um, I'm forgetting her name. I think it starts with a P and she's been casting forever. So he had a foothold, you know, in the business and Phil Patterson, who was one of the assistant directors, he's a out of Australia and he worked on crocodile Dundee and 12 monkeys. And he's, in with Terry Gilliam. If you watch the documentary about the Man of the Mancha movie, yeah. he's I've all over that. it. He was the first assistant director in that. He's the big blonde Australian fellow talking. That was our really? second assistant director. And then uh, Stefania was the second second assistant director and she uh, put in for me to be the uh, production assistant running first team. And that jargon means coordinating the actors through make a pair in wardrobe. Cool. That's a lot of work, man. Holy crap. Yeah, it was um it was a big show in terms of these and you know these kids were all rapscallions and uh, yeah. <laughs> they were saucy and sassy. So um, oh, yeah. we had we had our hands full. One night during the rave we had 21 speaking part actors and that's one of the biggest days I ever worked where I had to keep wow. track of 21 people oh, man. downtown shooting exteriors which was Oh wow. Yeah, I was stepping and moving all the time. Oh way. yeah. I bet. <laughs>
1: That's not a job I would want. I wouldn't have patience
2: for that. (laughs) Well, I'll I'll just go on and tell this story now. During that sequence, we shot for two weeks downtown for those exteriors uh, all nights. And we had base camp about two blocks from where the set, we had blocked off. We had all of it. We owned the street. And um, uh, one night I get, I'm I'm up at set with some actors and they say, okay, so-and-so and and -and so-and-so, I forget which two. Are back in base camp napping because it's three in the morning. Um, we need them for the next shot. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I head back there, knock on the doors, don't get an answer. Knock on the door, don't get an answer. Finally open the door. Hey, hello, not in there. Oh. Shit. Not in their trailer. Oh good. Where could they be? Oh so, it, and it wasn't three. It was like one in the morning. Oh. Um, so I'm I'm running, running all around like a headless chicken. Where could these kids be? And they were both um in 1920. Uh, certain, uh, neighborhood and finally one of the teamsters one of the truck drivers who was just standing around because the trucks weren't moving said uh, who are you looking for i said uh, this actor and that actor oh i just saw him go in the gay bar up there <laughs> what all right so i run to the gay bar which is right midway between the set and the base camp sure enough they've been there they just ordered drinks they're getting served underage and and i grab them both by the ears and i'm like come with me, and I walk them out of the gay bar, and I go, do not go to the gay bar while we're shooting. Yeah. Go on the weekends. And, uh, go on your own time. Exactly. So that was, the, that was what I was facing for you know uh, from oh, October to that's December funny. of 94.
1: Oh, geez, that's funny. That's,
2: those are the stories you don't hear all the time. No. That's great. You no, know, they that's knew... The assistant directors called all of the actors in, all the kids. They didn't call the adults in. Uh, Anthony LaPaglia and Debbie Mazar were, were left out of this meeting. Right. <laughs> but all of the kids were brought in, and they said, look, guys, we know you smoke pot. We know you drink. Do all you want when we're not working. Right. Don't show up to work high. Don't show up drunk. And certainly don't do it at work. And every one of them, I promise, will not. Three weeks later, we're shooting at the studio. I walk up, and knock on Coyote Shiver's door. He opens the door, holding a joint. Yeah, do you need me to come in? Oh, do you want to hit? No, no, thank you. I really, I'm good. God, I worked with wow. guys like that in restaurants and on construction sites. Like, dude, Ethan. Ethan. Uh, well, he was Ethan Randall, I think, at the time, but he's Ethan Embry now. Um, which is a weird thing about him—his grandfather honoring his grandfather. But anyway, Ethan. The entirety of the show was carving a bong out of a log, so that was the other big thing. Every time he was not at set, he was sitting on the steps of his trailer, whittling on this giant log that he was going to eventually be a bong somehow.
1: Well, it kept (laughs) kept him busy and out of trouble. So he
2: was very (laughs) much like keep him off the streets. Yes, exactly. Yeah,
1: (laughs) off the streets. Wow.
2: (laughs) Because
0: there's this scene with him. with the brownies and the yeah. the Guar video,
2: which yeah. I, I just I just I just smiled with that. It's like, oh yeah, <laughs> so much about this movie. Every like you just said two things, two stories just popped up. So the pop <laughs> brownies were real. Um, the prop department, <laughs> why not? So they baked <laughs> three pans of pop brownies and brought them in, <laughs> and they let and it spread. They didn't, you wouldn't say it around management, but you know. But if the word spread through the crew, right, right, they're real pot brownies, and somebody warned Ethan, and Ethan was just smiled that Ethan, mm, sure, <laughs> you know, no problem. Well, the thing was, everybody was like, you know, make sure he gets it on the first take. Why were they so interested in that? Oh, because they're going to get all the leftover brownies when the scene's in the can. And that's exactly what happened. And so the entirety of the rest of that day was, you know, people with edibles in them. You know, Oh, my God. That's freaking
1: funny. (laughs) That's funny.
2: So the war thing. So this is wild. Uh, We had a producer's assistant. I forget his name. I'm I'm terribly sorry to him because this is a great story. But he heard Guar was coming to town. We had a, a, a venue called the Mad Monk. Um, I think it was the Mad Monk. And um, we got semi, you know, fairly big bands playing there, you know, Jimmy Buffett and, yeah. and Guar and things like that. And uh, Guar was coming to town literally in the middle of the shoot. And without trying to go through all the logistics how he did this, he basically suggested that they take a video camera, a digital video camera, which is brand new, uh, and we had um, access to one, take it out there and shoot what they could shoot with with Ethan if Boire was amenable. And and Boar said, sure, as long as he understands that we're still gonna do our shtick, we're gonna do, you know, our music.
3: Mm-hmm. You can't interrupt
2: the show, but we'll filter him into the show. And they did. And they got that footage on the fly, again, wow. totally improv, not in the script. Wow. And we got that incredible sequence. And you know, gave the movie a little more musical cred, to be honest.
0: Yeah.
3: yeah. In
2: there, so but-
1: happy accidents man absolutely <laughs> talking wow. about war real quick um the only story that i have with Gore is when i used to do a lot of comic book shows every comic book show my wife and i would go to or me and my friends would go to especially in new york and in the, in the northeast gore was inevitably at every one of these shows we would literally run into gore like Literally, just running the, you'd be standing there, turn around, wham, there's some half-naked guy there in a Gore costume, you're like, ah, oh, Gore's here. <laughs> I was wondering when you guys were going to show up. <laughs> Set your clock by them. But yeah. they were always really nice. I mean, honest to God, I've never, i never heard them cause any trouble at any of the shows. I mean, they did their show, and that was the trouble, but they never like <laughs> went around and caused trouble outside of whatever their show was. So they were always nice enough. You know, cats, I wouldn't recognize any of <laughs> one of them if they would have come out without the costume, on. <laughs> no,
2: no, of course not, yeah. No. And, you know, it shows that they were nice, that they were willing to let, you know, this goofy movie come and oh, yeah. jump into their show like that.
1: That but, That's incredible. And they didn't know, I mean, they probably didn't know whether it was going to be a hit, a big big movie, small movie or whatever. I, right? mean, I was looking up on IMBD, it was like $10 million to make the movie, and it made $303 million. Wow. Okay. I, that, that's I that's, that's, what I, that. that's what I was finding on, on online. So yeah. those numbers might be a bit different, but if that's true, and that was just, I guess the United States tally. So if that's true. That movie made bank. I don't know why they wouldn't leave it in the, in the theater, unless it was all rental. I don't know. I didn't yeah, um, break sure. it down that, that much.
0: I was going to ask about that. Um, and it, it very well could be that it's enjoyed a resurgence or as a, uh, mm-hmm. with a cult following, but um, were you, or other people of the cast and crew that you know, um, were you surprised by the reception to this movie or how it resonated with people? Were you expecting such love, I guess?
2: Well, it didn't have it because of that theatrical right. run. You know, right. So the initial release, we, we never got it in the theater in Wilmington, which was disappointing. And then it dribbled out onto video, sort of. and mm-hmm. um, And it didn't have... You know, it wasn't something that was flying off the shelves. Blockbuster right. carried two or three copies. They didn't have a, a shelf full. There weren't right. 20 copies. You know, it wasn't Jurassic Park or, you know, name any other movie from that time period that was a Blockbuster. Um, so it took a while. Uh, that, that was a cult that grew over time. Right. And I think that they started to find each other as the internet opened up. And I think they started to find each other as fans. And that's where the film started to gain some word of mouth and, right. and gained a following. And um, there are people now that uh, of a certain age that I think it's it's a touchstone film for them, which is, you know, that's an honor to have worked on something, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, even if that's not the bulk of humanity, but, you know, it's a small cadre of people. It's still really cool for them to, to tell you that something you worked on touched them and was important. Mm-hmm. To
1: them oh, them. well, on that part, uh, Kat and I, my wife, were talking a little bit about it last night because... I had seen it once many years ago. I couldn't remember it. So I loved watching it again. Like it was like watching it for the first time, but I love slice of life movies, like a day in the life of movies. And this was a perfect day in the life of type movie. And, it, and usually they follow like one or two people, but this followed the entire crew. This was everybody in that store. This was the, the owner, the, or the, the, the manager, the kit, all the kids. It was, just really nice to see everybody's interaction that writing was solid there's no there's no if ands or buts about that writing that 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 woman wrote a great script
2: and I'm she did and then, totally and then you know, with it. the the happy accidents and the things that were brought to it and the, the yeah. little bits that were added and in rewrites and reshoots and all of that um thankfully nothing jarred or worked against what she had started what mm-hmm. the, the core of what she added you know brought to the to the table mm-hmm. um and, and it was um, it was just a wild shoot. It really was. We had more. I worked on it longer than any other feature film just because of, there was a rehearsal period.
3: Uh-huh. Alan
2: Moyle, the director, um, greatly believed that, the, that it was only going to work if he could get the cast to have the chemistry that this crew would have had working together. Oh,
3: yeah, yeah, And so
2: yeah, however bad. he worked it out, he got them to put up the money. Uh, to have a rehearsal period that was weeks long. I mean, it, uh, wow, like all of October, uh, or September, something, some amount, but it was weeks of rehearsal. And we would go in every day, and, you know, um, Brendan and, and Liv are going to school mm-hmm. and they're doing rehearsals on the set. They're doing improv rehearsals to just to get around each other.
3: Mm-hmm. Things
2: came out of the rehearsals. I don't know if they were in the script originally or not, but for example, the, uh, music choice sequence followed by the M&Ms or the M&Ms being a part of the music choice sequence right. and then the Vito. All of that was stuff that was happening in rehearsal. And I, again, I don't know if that oh, just nice. organically came about because <laughs> Alan was bringing it to the cast,
3: mm-hmm. but
2: they were doing Pilates together, which Pilates were, were a new thing then oh, yeah, <laughs> um, to try to bond them. Um, and we did all of that. And then we finally started rolling cameras, you know, up, Three, four weeks later, whatever it was, and shot until late December of 94. Mm -hmm. And um, things were still on the last day of shooting. um, Something that both of you have mentioned as being something you enjoyed in the film was only added on that last day of shooting, and that was the male Rex Manning fan. So, oh,
1: oh, no kidding.
2: (laughs) So, I guess I'll go ahead and tell that story. Yes, I got to
1: hear this story. I'm interested.
2: So, they, um, (laughs) They brought in some extras on the last day, and we had lost most of the cast. I don't remember who was still shooting. Robin was still there at the end. I know that. So she still had something going on. Um, she was one of the last to leave. But um, not the whole cast. Maybe half, third of the cast was left on the last day. And they said, we're going to get some more shots of the autograph line. And mm-hmm. so we've got these extras. So let's gear that up. I got a wild hair <clears throat> and ran to wardrobe and said, I think I might want to see if they'd let me be in the autograph line. You got anything wild for me to wear? I mean, they didn't bat an eye. They just, like, turned to the thing and came back. Here you go. And as I was putting this shirt on, they handed me uh, two-tone blue suede shoes. Here, put these on, too. Okay. Nice. And I get all this on, and they go, Rex Manning almost wore that. It was just a little too large on him. I'm wearing that outfit I'm wearing could have been Rex Manning's outfit. That's funny. I run to hair. And I say, look at this. Can you do anything here? Well, they as much as they could, they puffed it up and they gold streaks and tipped me. Nice. Now I run to the director and I go to Alan and I say, would you like me to be in the autograph line? <laughs> like, oh, yes. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> and so they got me in the line. And I know i see through the rehearsal that they're going to run the camera tracking up the line. Nice. So I asked the girl in front of me, what second I said? you have a makeup mirror on you. And she did. And she pulled out the makeup mirror. And I said, well, let's do this bit of business. You be looking at the mirror and then I'm going to ask you when, when we know the camera's on us, I'll ask you to let me look in the mirror. And we did it. And as you guys can see, that part, you know, ended up in there. <laughs> That's great. Well, we had done that sequence and then <laughs> Alan said, all right, boys, put the camera on Craig. We're going to get some shots of Craig. <laughs> like, oh. All right, great. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's great. So he puts it on me and he gave me three different directions. He said, um, uh, you know, this first take, you're cooler than he is. And so, uh, and he's kissing his ring to the audience. And so I did the two finger. <laughs> 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 and everybody kind of enjoyed that. And they cut and he gave me in a second round. And to be honest, I don't remember the second round, but it was something specific, but it was still relatively restrained. And then right. on the third one, he said, okay, we're going to do another one. I don't want you to go wild. I want you to be floored by this guy kissing his ring. And so that's then that's the reaction. That <laughs> it's was. a great take. <laughs> well, that is great. That
1: is so fantastic. that was it.
2: So the, the finale of that story is my uh, the studio teacher who was teaching um, Brendan and Liv was a good friend and she was dating the music supervisor mm-hmm. at the time. And so she was out in LA hanging out as they're editing the film. So she sends me a letter and I get this letter and it says, uh, hey, I've got Good news, bad news. They love you, but they bumped the shot before you. You're not in it, and they're really having a problem with the fact that there's a shot of the line without you in it, and then the very next shot is there you are standing there in the line, and so I literally did not know. After that letter, I was on tenterhooks until September of (laughs) '95 when I finally got to rent the film that I saw that I actually was in it, and then got the double surprise that they had added the, the cast credit for me at the end. Which that's So
1: that's very cool because you didn't have a speaking role in it. It was it's just not, you know, it was just a visual. Usually, if I'm not mistaken, speaking roles get precedence, correct?
2: I was a featured extra. I yeah. really didn't deserve that. And what, and what's weird is there's because they kept editing the film. There's people listed around me that aren't actually in the film. Uh, a friend named Anthony Hemingway. Uh, he's a director now. He directed Red Tails. Uh wow. Yeah, he's. I don't know if he's in the film or not, but I don't think he's in it. But even bigger than that, Toby McGuire is listed in those. Credits. Yeah, I saw that. I and he's that. not yeah. in the film. Uh, he, he was a friend of Johnny Whitworth's and he showed up. Johnny said, can I bring my friend in and can we find something for him to do? And Alan was yes to almost every question. And so, yeah, they flew him in. He had some problems in the Raleigh airport with something he shouldn't have had in his luggage.
1: Gee, I Who wonder what it would have
2: been. <laughs> but he finally made it to Wilmington, and they shot some stuff with him, and it was so jettisonable, uh, they just never even included him. But he must have been in a cut when they did the credits, so they credited him, and yeah. he's out of the movie. He's not even in the fan remix edition, I don't think. Wow. So, yeah. Dang. That's crazy.
0: Well, yeah, you mentioned a- the...
1: I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: You mentioned something in the luggage, and of course, my brain goes to
2: Austin Powers. And, uh, a certain <laughs> it pump. was, yeah. It was his uh, <laughs> Swedish <laughs> penis pump, actually, yes. <laughs> yeah. You guys are luggage. breaking the news that Tobey Maguire was using a Swedish penis pump. Not my bag, baby. <laughs> yeah. In fact, he did, I remember he, he told the Raleigh Airport that that was Mike Myers. So... <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's wow yeah no, I, I
1: like this movie a lot and uh the, the character that uh Paglia plays for the longest time i was trying to figure out why he was putting up with so much shit from the one kid and then it comes to because the kid talks about his parent his mom kicked him out at 10 and then three years later he was yeah. discovered by the manager and i'm like oh shit the manager basically adopted this kid yeah that's that's to him that's his son Right. No wonder he's being, I mean, it's, it's not a slap in the face moment, but you know, I'm not a dumb guy. I can put two and two together, uh, <laughs> but it was really good. I, I really enjoyed that scene. Like being able to put that together. That, that's good writing. That's, that's, that's not slapping you in the face with a moment. That's making you think about yeah the character and the characters. Yeah. I thought that was really good. And look, when- you know, I like him anyway, so.
0: Yeah, that's one thing this movie did for me is uh, as as I watched it, it just, I mean, just light bulb moment after mm. moment, and relatable um, topics, and um, so man, I would have loved to have worked in a place like this. Yeah, no kidding. And as you know, Craig, we didn't have anything like that in the
2: Plainsboro. <laughs> <laughs> so. No, I think you would. I you know, and not even Carbondale. I think you would have to go no. to St. Louis or something. Yes, you know, to find a store like that. I think. Um, Anthony, I do want to tell a couple of stories with Anthony because he was a great guy. Really enjoyed working with him. Um, later, we uh, we met up again. On a, he came back to town, and I went to just say hello, and we were hanging out. And uh, he called me. Uh, I don't. I, I don't guess he liked the producers very much because he said that uh, he had positive thoughts about the film for me. <laughs> <And> <laughs> maybe not everybody else, but um, that was nice to hear anyway. Yes. But, um <laughs> He had a very nice uh suv when those were you know relatively a new thing right and, um so one day uh we had asked early on the production assistants had asked we were all over the studio um there were dressing rooms oh, this is a whole story in and of itself but there were dressing rooms that were built into soundstage eight over uh-huh. on one side and we were mainly on soundstage four that's where the record store was and that was there was a big field in between and um so we were running all over with this thing, though. And we asked, do we have a golf cart? And they said no. And then about a week later, they called us in and they said, all right, we're going to give you the golf cart. And what it was was everything. The actors were being so lackadaisical, it's hard to get them to set. Mm-hmm. They were trying to find anything they could do to shave a few seconds to get you know, money stopped flowing right, out. Right. Um, so they said, all right. We're going to give you the, the golf cart. But here's the thing. No shenanigans. <laughs> and you under no circumstances ever let any of the actors drive the golf cart. <laughs> we promise. <laughs> Off we go. And one of the other production assistants, a wonderful young man named Jeff, <laughs> let Brendan Sexton drive the golf cart. <laughs> oh, he immediately no. somehow gets it going 40 miles an hour, right into Andy LaPaglia's SUV, oh. $3,000 damage to the door. Oh my I mean, like, like, he sits down, pushes down the gas get, get pedal, and it's in the side of the SUV. Just oh like my that. god! So, <laughs> so god. Anthony was very unhappy with Jeff, but Jeff was connected to one of the producers. Uh, not like a son, but he was connected enough that there was no talk of him not being on the show anymore. Interesting. Right. But that was the last time any of the actors drove the golf cart.
0: Oh yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's
2: funny. Wow. <laughs>
1: I'd have killed him. <laughs>
2: yes. <laughs> yeah, now, that was, that legendarily, the same thing had happened with Dino di Laurentiis. Somebody had run a golf cart into his car back in the earlier 80s. Uh, oh, no kidding. Like 84, 85, when he was at his heyday. <laughs> and uh, they oh, tell geez. the story of him coming out. Apparently, he's a very small man or was a very small man. Uh, and so it was like a little person running up and yelling at somebody in Italian. <laughs> You know, they were upset (laughs) about the damage to their car. Oh, no, that's funny.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's funny.
1: That's great. Oh, my God.
0: Greg, tell me about uh, the autograph behind your
2: shoulder there of Renee. That is Renee Zellweger. She appeared in uh, Interview Magazine, I think it is. Um, And uh, that issue came out while we were shooting. And I ran and grabbed a copy and asked her to sign it. And um, I I don't think you can read it because of the glare. But it said, the very first words, my first ever autographed picture.
1: Thanks oh, for no me kidding.
2: Neil, all important and stuff. Oh, dude. <laughs> she said, to my favorite Wrangler, Craig, thanks for looking after me and for sharing all of the certainly interesting jokes. <laughs> You're the best, Renee. So, yeah, oh, I have her first autograph there on the wall. She's adorable. Very cool. Oh, she was. Cool. She was wonderful. She had a dog. Oh, this is a weird thing. The entire cast had dogs with them. Really? That's really? the only time I've ever had that happen. Wow. Um, she had one named Dylan. He was a, I don't know what he was, but he was big and fluffy and really sweet. He was a really sweet dog. He was, uh, he was my favorite of the entire bunch. <laughs> um, she called him Wolf and Dylan. They'd been together for years. And, um, they were wonderful. So I had no problem with that. But Johnny Whitworth had this dog named Socks, And so throughout the shoot, any given moment, he would lean out the door and just bellow Socks! and I'm like, does he need? Are, are his feet cold? Does he need something for wardrobe? <laughs> no, he's calling his dog again. Okay, got it. Um, Liv had a Chihuahua oh, that Lord. was terrified, and and if you ter- if you up the ante on the terrified one iota. It would dump all over. And it dumped like a great Dane oh, It was this Lord. dog this big and it cracked bigger than itself. And it did it around the craft service table a couple of times. And I'm like, oh, oh How my hygienic could this be? You know, this cat or dog drumming like this. Um Robin Tunney had one, uh, Ethan had two. Um, who am I missing? Lucas. Uh Lucas. Um I'm forgetting the actor's name. I don't know that he had one. He may not have. But um, but he and Renee were dating at the time. Uh They had gotten together on Daisy Confused and had proceeded together to shoot a film called Love in a 45 that not many people have seen. And then they came to our show. Uh And um, so I think he just shared with Dylan Wolf. He was just (laughs) co-owner of Dylan at the (laughs) time Uh, that broke up by the way, because, and I'll break this with you guys. Um, he slept with one of the other cast members somewhere along the way and Renee found out about it. And so they were not together at the end of the shooting. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> there you go. Wow.
1: Yeah. Well, that makes for an awkward day. Yeah, <laughs> it does. No, no, no. <laughs> I did like the, uh, the homage to dazed and confused up on the cash register. Mm-hmm. I spotted that.
2: And I was trying to figure out this is people. This is people a fun right. thing. You mentioned the cash register. Um, The entire record store was built inside of Soundstage 4, which is also where the tanks were, where the turtles came up uh, from the water and uh, it has the largest no seam blue screen in the world maybe still to this day. Really? So that Soundstage has seen a lot of action over many decades. But they built the entire record store in there, uh, all the front glass and then a block of Front Street was actually recreated inside the Soundstage. And they had electric cars um, that were like golf carts, but they looked like full you know full automobiles and so that's that's the bulk of what you see but there are shots in the opening when they come to open the store
3: mm-hmm. there are
2: literally uh, walt lloyd who shot the film the director of photography genius genius because there are shots that are literally soundstage exterior downtown soundstage exterior downtown just back and forth and i defy you to tell me that you can see any difference in the lighting
1: Had you not just told me what you told me, I would have never known that that was film. I mean, the interiors you just assume are a set. Mm -hmm. But the exteriors, I would have never. I would have never guessed. I I would have never guessed that any of that was on a set. It's
2: beautiful. That's freaking.
1: Those those guys were beyond talented to make it look that good.
2: They really were. And um, downtown, though, what was really fun when we were shooting the exteriors they had recreated the record store three feet in to give the actors enough room to get into the doors. Mm-hmm. And so literally every item that was on the soundstage, the magazine rack, the cash wrap, and then it was just a giant photograph. The rest of the store was just a giant photograph.
3: No but the kidding. first three
2: feet was every item to the letter um, reproduced downtown. Wow. And yeah. So uh, that's, that movie magic is why I love being in the business because yeah, that's, that's, that's incredible some cool shit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that is absolutely incredible. See again,
1: now I'm going to get, fuck, now I'm going to go back and watch that and see if I can spot this. <laughs> shit. See, that's the kind of stuff that I look for in movies. Like, okay, where, where did they goof up? Well, there's no goof up in this movie. Honest to God, I'm watching it. Yeah. I didn't spot anything. Nothing jumped out at me. Nothing took me out of the moment. Nothing, not a damn thing. <laughs> that's
2: incredible. So all of the CDs in the store on the set were real, um, they, you know, uh, but what the trick was, was they had three, two or three that were just all kinds of different stuff. And then there was they had this one stock of this one particular CD and they had thousands of them and that filled right, in right. all the rest. Right. And that stock was the shot in Wilmington Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle 2 soundtrack. I don't know if they just had those laying around because they thought it was going to be a bigger soundtrack. So somebody bought them in Wilmington and they were available. I don't know. But they had pallets of them with the set already built. There were pallets out on the studio lot between sound stages eight and four that were higher than my head. You could walk between them. And it all was Teenage Mutant Ninja 2 soundtracks. Wow. Every kid (laughs) in my family got it for Christmas that year. Whether they liked it or not. I took like a box home of them, you know. But they had—they were so worried about the record store that, that for the first part of the shoot, for weeks, we had 24-hour security sitting there guarding the set because they thought people—I don't know why—they thought the crew was just going to wholesale walk out with the CDs. We did steal some. I, I have—I um, have three or four in my collection to this day that I took off that set. But um, but I, you know, wasn't going to walk out with armloads. But yeah. <laughs> Oh, here's a Back up the truck. A, Connie Stevens' daughter's CD. Oh, I'll listen to that. I gotta it's have
1: good.
2: it. Yeah, <laughs> got some bangers <laughs> on there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's funny. Who uh, who wrote the the song that uh, Rex Manning was singing?
2: Do you know? Oh, Santa More, Monomore? Yeah, I don't know who wrote that. Um, they went wow. out to Wrightsville Beach and shot that on a Saturday or Sunday during that rehearsal period. Uh-huh. A small production company called Twinkle Dune uh, that did a lot of little things around here and did some features. Um, they went out there with him and they were only supposed, they were tasked to shoot 10 seconds or something. It was supposed to not, they didn't think there was going to be very much shown. Right. And they went out there and shot the whole thing like they shot it as a real music video, beginning wow. to end. And it ended up working out in their favor because, as it turned out, they could have much more of it available on the screens right. than you know what they thought they were going to be showing. Since they had it available, they went ahead and showed way more of it. Um, I wow. think I think uh, Maxwell stepped up to the plate shooting that. I think he did yeah. a wonderful job <laughs> with those dancers out there.
1: That, that was just funny, and I, those are the kinds of things that I wonder about. Like, was it the writer of the script that wrote the song, or was it somebody that else that you know that was more musically inclined? I mean, because I I have no idea. I don't even know if I was if I was writing a script, if I would write the words to a song. I would just be like, "And song, and song." Yeah, <laughs> I think
2: it was. I think saint Moore, was in there because I think it's in the script. I think he oh, says okay. it at some point, or somebody says it to him. So I think they had the title, but I think the, the rest of the writing was somebody else. I will say everybody did their own singing. So that is him singing. Really? And it is Renee Zellweger singing, what? and it is Coyote singing.
1: I was wondering about that.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Renee great. went to um, – they all pre-recorded the tracks. We had to listen to that for almost two weeks oh. being blasted <laughs> around downtown. I don't know how anybody <laughs> slept down there. You know, <laughs> um, yeah, and I love that song, Sugar High. Yeah. They never, they've never released – the version that has her singing unfortunately no um, really all of the soundtracks only have coyotes original version which oh. has saucier lyrics it's actually mm-hmm. it was toned down for the movie a little bit so
1: that makes sense yeah, yeah. well damn <laughs> I didn't know
2: well i know was. she wasn't she never thought she did a very good job so um perfectly fine um, yeah. She was embarrassed <laughs> by, yeah i thought she did a
1: You're singing job punk. it's fine <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: it was great it was great yeah. um and that's that um him i even forgot what i was going to ask on that um dave you have any uh other questions
1: uh, you know what any question that i might have had you've already answered
2: was I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like i can come up with are, more stories don't the worry stories there, are there fantastic
1: <laughs> i i i do have uh crud there was a, a question i forgot what of course. <laughs> now, now that you, now that you asked me, which is like the story of my life. Whenever we we're doing one of these um, in, in general, how, I mean, did, are you doing more behind the camera work? Do you do more in front of camera work? Is it a mix? And and what do you prefer as, as...
2: I'm a ham. I enjoy being on camera. Um, <laughs> But I'm also not big on rejection, so I never pursued it. Um, right, you know, ninety percent of your life is getting rejected. Yeah. So, um, but because I'm a ham, and and uh, my bosses would put me up for things. Um, I did read throughs when they would do read throughs on a show called American Gothic. It was on CBS in '95 mm-hmm. and '96, and they would try to on lunches read the next script to see if it needed tweaking, and mm-hmm. they couldn't bring in all the day players. So the guy who you know says whatever you know if they went that away right they wouldn't right. bring in those guys to because it was big money to bring them in for a, just a, a script read so i took over reading all mm-hmm. of the non-regular cast member parts in those scripts right, right. well that led to um one of the, the producer's assistant walked out with a cast list for the next uh episode about halfway through mm-hmm. and handed me a pile of them and said distribute these to everybody but make sure you look at them and i'm like all right And I started looking through this cast list, and the last name listed was me. They had given me a speaking role uh, as a radio technician in a radio station. And that's the kind of thing that's those things came my way a few times here. Right. And And, uh, so I still get residual checks. I don't get anything from Empire Records, but um, a Dawson's Creek speaking role and an American Gothic speaking Mm. role are still, you know, buying me a dinner three or four times a year, you know, just money Uh, cool. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Nothing wrong with that at all.
2: So you do a lot of,
1: uh, are you still doing the wrangling?
2: Well, I did assistant direct a, uh, um, a horror short called mercy that is just now making some, uh, festivals. Uh, uh-huh. got completed. It was hard. We were shooting around the pandemic, uh, in 2020 and 2021. Yeah. And we wrapped it in last March, not the March just now, a year ago, March. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, it's, Finally, it took a while to get the effects together and everything. It runs about 26, 28 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. It's nice little demonic possession on an island horror thing. It's
3: nice, it's good. Okay, nice, um, nice.
2: I'm really interested to have it get out there. But I was the first assistant director. I helped run the set, which is what that the, that guy does.
3: Okay, and, cool. Uh,
2: I really enjoyed being back on a set, really enjoyed um, upping the spook factor. I tried to uh, point things out that we could make it a little spookier. All right, um, All right. Somebody, uh, two parents are talking and their daughter who has mysteriously changed and gotten older in just days, uh, is supposed to walk into the shot and surprise them. And there was a column in the, in the house we were shooting in and Mm -hmm. I said, well, why don't we see if we can tuck her behind that and have her just like from nowhere, she just steps out from behind this column. And the column was so thin. Thankfully, she was a slender actress. Right. <laughs> you, yeah, I, they, I don't think the audience will ever believe a person could be back there. They're going to have to think it's an effect. But we really did just tuck her in and she kind of sucked her gut in and just stood oh, back there nice. until the point, And then she just steps out and says, stop it, you two or whatever. And that was the kind of thing I was bringing to it and having fun with was trying to find these places where you could just bring the, the creepy up a little right, bit. Right. And um, so I'm not, you know, I'm not a listed writer on it or anything like that, but just. I'm just pleased to have, I think, added a little more, you know, yeah. to the mix. Mm-hmm. And I would love to do more of that sort of thing. Uh, it doesn't, uh, those jobs don't pay anywhere near what I need, you know, as a middle-aged yeah. man yeah, in America. Right. So yeah. I'll keep the other job, yeah, but right. uh, if I get an opportunity to step onto a set in any capacity, I'll take it because, um, it, it does kind of feed a part of my soul.
1: Really. Yeah. yeah. I thoroughly understand that. Absolutely. Now,
2: um,
0: I do have a question, Craig. What okay. is um, what's the favorite production? What's your
2: most favorite production that you worked on? This one's up there. Empire Records is certainly one of them, just because because of that rehearsal period and, and the things mm-hmm. that and the happy accidents and the way that it does have that cult yeah. following. Um, Dawson's Creek is another because that touched a lot of of especially girls, but you know boys too. Yeah. That of a certain age, that was their show. You know, Wednesday nights on the WB, uh, they didn't miss it. And it informs them to this day. And, you know, the Netflix, it hits Netflix and it's number one on their streaming, you know, right. top 10 things in America. And it was on there for a few weeks as the number one. Wow. So and people are rediscovering it. And I'm, I interact with the fans on Facebook of that show and, and new people discovering the show in their 30s and 40s and still watching it and enjoying it because it was of the time when they were that right. age. Right, and yeah. if they didn't watch it then. So that's a favorite. American Gothic uh, was a hard show. Very hard show to work on, but um, but I'm proud of it. It's uh Gary Cole is an evil southern sheriff, uh, yeah, only one it. season on CBS. It was before CSI and they were murder she wrote and diagnosis murder, and mm-hmm. we were too edgy and they got rid of us, they bounced us all around the schedule and then canceled us after one mm-hmm. season. Uh and then a couple of years later, here comes CSI and all the blood that we weren't allowed to show. Yeah, gouts <laughs> uh, of it. Yeah, okay, fine. Um did a lot of TV movies. Those those are pretty generic. Um, mm-hmm. I enjoyed the work. Got to mm-hmm. meet a lot of fun people. Uh, you know, and had weird jobs. Uh, I was hired to be Eddie Albert's cue card guy on a Christmas movie where he was going to play Santa Claus. <some animals, laughs> and they realized, you know, Eddie Albert was ninety something at the time. Yeah. They said, "So we want to bring him to Wilmington, North Carolina, in August and put him in a blue or you know whatever Santa suit. We're going to kill him." Yeah. And so he bow, <laughs> he backed out. And when he backed out, um Bruno Kirby's dad, this Bruno Sr. took over the role. He didn't need a cue card guy. So I right. no longer had a job, unfortunately. But but I was hired for it. I would have been his cue card guy. <laughs> um I was um let's see, what other weird ones? I was a location scout, uh or locations guy on a TV movie called Mafia Marriage.
3: Uh-huh.
2: Um I was a Actor's assistant, the great actor Roy Brocksmith. You guys would probably best remember him as the guy who tries to convince Arnold Schwarzenegger he's dreaming in Total Recall. Oh yeah, God, yeah you're yeah. gonna have a psychotic snap if you don't take this pill.
1: Yeah, the guy was sweating.
2: <laughs> well, I was his assistant on a movie called Road to Wellville. And weirdly, he was playing Anthony Hopkins' assistant in the movie, and then I'm his assistant in real life. And so that got me a meet with Anthony Hopkins. You know, I, oh, I get to hang okay. out and Anthony Hopkins, you know, thrusts his hand out to me and goes, hi, Tony. Okay. <laughs> sure. Wow. Sir, Sir Hopkins. Yeah. From here on.
1: We're on first so, name
2: basis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and what was cool about that? We, we went to the studio for a costume fitting or something. And I was accompanying him, just, uh, uh, Roy. Uh-huh. And Roy, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Hopkins of the time, I think they're not no longer together, but they, they were walking across the lot and they were like, oh, Roy. Right. So all four of us come together and I assumed it was going to be the three of them talking. And I was just like, right. I at least am. Yeah. And no, Hopkins was, you know, we're talking about this and here's my opinion. What do you think of that? And just drew me into the, and it was a four-way conversation for wow. the entirety wow. of the 10 minutes. Wow. I couldn't speak more highly of somebody who was that big of a star, Oscar winning, you know, mm-hmm. mega star and that pleasant, and Tony to me. So
1: Yeah, yeah, that's nice. That's yeah. always nice to hear, that somebody that you think could be very arrogant turns out to be very down-to-earth. Yeah. You know, that's always nice yeah. to hear that. That's You're very cool.
2: You ready for the negative?
1: Oh, Sure. I love the negatives. Those are the greatest. <laughs> Kate Jackson,
2: terrible. Really? Yeah, I did a TV movie with her. She was awful. She was horrible to everybody around her, Made us wait for no reason. I worked oh, with man. Shannon Doherty and Kate Jackson, and I prefer Shannon Doherty. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. So there you wow. go. That's great. Yeah, she is. She is my single worst. If anybody says who was the worst she worked with? Kate Jackson yeah. case, like, No problem. <laughs> oh wow.
1: That's fantastic. That's See, I lot. love the dirt.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most. Oh, people guys. Do. Oh, I could I can tell you. I I will tell you, I don't care what she's going to do to me at this point. So um, (laughs) she liked pharmaceuticals. Oh, really? Uh, Rumor had it she liked pharmaceuticals. Let me restate that. Well, something happened and she fell out of bed one night. What? And messed her arm up so badly it was broken and they had to put a cast on it. Wow. She broke her own arm. But popular gossip on the set said she broke her arm to get pharmaceuticals. So, Uh Well, that made the film, though, a problematic because now she has a cast on her arm. And so this movie is called Justice in a Small Town. I highly recommend watching it just mm-hmm. to watch how they covered up her cast because the scenes were shot. It was one of those where literally every day, you, you know, it's you're shooting something from day one. You're shooting something from the third week. You're shooting this. Right, and right. that. So in the opening scene, she's serving pancakes to the kids with an oven mitt that goes up to here on her arm. <laughs> cover the cast no no human you know this is a radiation suit it's not an (laughs) oven mitt. here's your isotopes exactly (laughs) with syrup don't forget the syrup (laughs) and 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 then other scenes she's got she's always got a coat or a purse over the over the cast but it's Ah. just spotty and and you can you can tell you know the scene starts and she's got the coat over her arm this is a broken arm scene, you know gotcha but but that's, you know, it's that's funny. what we did. We did that for her, with her for an NBC TV movie, but that got me, you know, I hung out with Terry O'Quinn. He was in that movie from uh-huh. Lost and, uh, the stepfather and John Shea, a fine, fine actor and some other great people. One of um, Sabrina's aunts uh, right. right. was in that film. Wow. So, you know, when you're on a show with somebody like a Kate Jackson that you're not really having a lot of fun with, you find your fun with, whomever else right. Right. it's a positive So
1: <laughs> that's great that's absolutely great well I, you know what I guess I would be like in, in any other job that you have you have the people that are just total jerks and then you have the people yeah. that you go hang out with yeah. but <laughs> that, the cool kids but no. like, like like Scott and I we, we found each other everybody else is jerks <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah it's not everybody else. <laughs> oh yeah we were a click. sure like that's guys. Cool. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> definitely great. All right. Well, hey, um, let's go through uh final thoughts on the movie. I'm sure Craig, you're going to recommend it, but to anybody who hasn't seen it, what would you have to say to them?
2: Um, it is a slice of life. Um, it's a time capsule from that time, the mid 90s. It's mm-hmm. um although there would still be kids working jobs in that fashion, that particular job, the record store is not really yeah. a one concern much anymore. So um, if you lived through that time, it's highly recommended that you would want to take a look at that and just see, as I said before, I think the cast is, uh, doing a fine job bringing the truth mm. of that script. Um, mm-hmm. I think it hits, you know, it's got some comedy, it's got some drama. It, it's, it, it's not, it doesn't, um, it changes the genre. You know, it bends them all well mm. and puts them into a fine mix. Um, uh, it doesn't lean too far in any direction. Um, And I think some of it really holds up. I mean, to this day, um, Empire Records open until midnight. Midnight is still, you know, a great joke. So (laughs) there you go.
1: Yeah, that's uh, I I loved it. I, I like I said, I watched it once, barely remembered it, watched it last night. It was like watching it for the first time slice of life day in the life of movies are my are my thing and the fact that the writer took so many different people's lives and put them all together and made it all work they all work out they the, the story just completely falls together at the end and you're waiting for it i'm i'm trying to figure out I'm watching it last night trying to figure out okay now how did the writer how how is a person going to put all these together how is this all going to come together and you just see it just just like a like a like a gear coming together it's like holy crap i didn't see that one coming All Right. <laughs> like, like when warren is shooting up the place he'll never give me a job he'll never give me a job you want a job warren can i have a job <laughs> i mean how stupid that is such a stupid thing nobody would ever hire that kid but it works it, it works worked. by the time <laughs> the movie's yeah. over you're like that guy would hire him that guy would absolutely hire him because he sees a lost soul,
2: <laughs> just as he did with the with Lucas before him. So yeah. exactly, and, and yep. uh,
1: the I awesome. want to say Bonnie, but that's not the character's name. The, the girl that shaves her head. Um, oh, uh, Deborah is the character. Yeah, the, Deborah the character. Deborah. He's he's trying. He opens up the door. He looks in. He says, "Are you okay? Do you want to talk?" And she just goes off on some little tangent. He's like, "Well." Okay, and he just <laughs> walks away and shuts the door. I mean, he's trying. He's trying to be the, the best boss in the world without even trying, you know?
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, I absolutely highly recommend this movie. It is, like you said, a slice of life of the 90s. There are certain things you're not going to see anymore. You might be able to find a used record store now. Yeah. As that kind of to But, yeah, that, God, I would have loved to have worked in that place. Back in the 90s, shit. I would have loved that. That would have been just fantastic.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. That would have that would have been awesome. And that's um just to go off of every, everything that's already been stated, it is a slice of life. Uh it's a look at multiple different characters. Mm-hmm. And I think what's done so well about that is there's somebody that all of us can probably relate to in some way yeah. or another so you can kind of see yourself there for for me it was like a little nostalgia trip and if anything mm-hmm. hits those strings for me i'm right back in you got me. right um and that's what this excellent soundtrack oh this yeah God, that, like, man takes you right back yeah I, i'm right back to the 90s and it's like that was that was awesome i highly recommend it um definitely i can't believe i slept on it all this time but it was uh well worth the watch I'd like to take a moment to thank you again Craig for coming on and uh, yes. sharing uh, the dirt and uh, the good stuff and <laughs> uh, just much. some good stories uh, thank really you guys. appreciate, I appreciate you, it though. yeah no, we
1: really appreciate it and anybody blast. that's watching go watch Empire Records look for Craig in line yes it's the outfit
0: the best performance of the movie <laughs> the
1: outfit that you're wearing
2: <laughs> is fantastic yes I still have it it still fits get so out of town <laughs> I attended a screening of the movie last year on Rex Manning Day and as their special guest and I went in costume. I even I even shaved back and no put glasses on. I tried to recreate me in ninety-four as much as I could. And had I was signing autographs and taking pictures of the people, which was astounding. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. That's freaking fantastic, man. That, that is, is great.
0: <laughs> absolutely absolutely
1: that's freaking great rex manning day uh, it's rex manning day yes. April 8th. April every 8th. year i'm gonna to have to remember that
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> definitely well thanks for uh tuning in thanks again craig and uh be sure and check in with us next week when we have something coming your way i think it's a trip into the 80s Uh, who's up for some fritters with Motel Hell? Come join us. It It takes all kinds of critters to make those.
1: (laughs) Yes it does.
0: Yes it does. See y'all next week.
1: Cheers.